So Money episode 1294, Terry Trespicio, author of the new book, Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. If you are one of these rare birds who has and knows precisely what they're supposed to be doing and does it, applause. (laughs) Good for you. That's awesome that that's happening for you. But for the rest of us, we're either passionate about tons of things, we don't know which way to go, or we're passionate about a thing, but we don't know what that means or what we're supposed to do with it. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Our guest today, I thought would be the perfect guest to kick us off as we enter this last haul of 2021. I know a lot of us have new year goals, but why not start them now, right? Just start planning, start thinking. Terry Trespicio is the author of a new book, Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You. Now, this book has been years in the making. It started with a viral TED Talk that she gave on this topic, which is counter to so much of what our culture says, what our culture dictates. Identify your passion and follow it. What if you don't know what your passion is? Are you doomed? Au contraire, says Terry Trespicio, who by the way, is a very good friend of mine. So we have a really, really casual, but I think deep conversation about what it means to find meaning in your life today, especially now when so much is uncertain. In her book, which again is based on that TEDx talk that has now more than 7 million views, Terry calls into question everything that we think that we need to succeed, which includes passion, a bucket list. So we go through that and we talk about how to actually think about building a life, a career that we love, that maybe doesn't start out as our passion, but ends up being something that we do feel really happy about. Unfollow your passion. Mel Robbins, international bestselling author, she calls this book a must read for anyone looking for a more meaningful life, compelling, funny, and actionable, no motivation required. Here's my friend, Terry Trespicio. Terry Trespicio, welcome back to So Money, celebrating you. Unfollow Your Passion. Yes. Finally here. Well, it will be here. You can pre-order now. <laughs> yes, it is. It's it's in here. It's here in spirit. We're just waiting until it's yeah. actually born. <laughs> Now, this book has been in the works for many years, and I would say it maybe started with the TED Talk, the TEDx Talk that you gave. What was it? Has it been four years now? Oh, my God. It was 2015 when that TED Talk came out. So Six years been, ago. It's, it's, it's shown its age, but kind of not because it's still going strong. It's timely and also evergreen. You know, this idea of unfollowing your passion. Unfollow your passion is the name of the book, and it is counter to so much of what the culture of entrepreneurship and the culture of work preaches, which is identify your passion, run with it. It's the recipe for success and fulfillment. You are here to dispel this. Tell us a little bit about the thesis. Well, the idea does pick up where the TED Talk leaves off. And it's simply this. If you are one of these rare birds who has and knows precisely what they're supposed to be doing and does it, applause. (laughs) Good for you. That's awesome that that's happening for you. But for the rest of us, 
We're either passionate about tons of things, we don't know which way to go, or we're passionate about a thing, but we don't know what that means or what we're supposed to do with it. And the reason that TED Talk did so well is because the message hit. It wasn't because everyone's following their passions and hates it. It's because people feel that they might be doing it wrong. And so the thesis of the book or the goal and mission of the book was to set people at ease, really of any age, but especially people who are looking at their careers from the early part and are afraid to move in any one direction for fear they make the wrong move. And there is no wrong move. There's just the move you take. Right. And what I find always frustrating about this concept of following your passion is that so many stars have to align and it can make for an impossible feat. You have to first identify the one thing, which we talk about in your book is sort of like uh, a recipe for disaster. Right. You know, there is no one thing. And then on top of that, that one thing needs to sustain your lifestyle. It needs to be a revenue producing pursuit, which, you know, sometimes your passion is not that. And that's where we get stuck is like, I, I only have 50% of the equation here. I've maybe identified the thing that I like to do, but how am I, I don't think it's monetizable or in such immonetizable enough for, for the kind of life I, I envision. And so we, we feel like, again, stuck. And so unfollow your passion is telling us to rid of a lot of this, these, these ideas that have been fed to us. I mean, you lived this experience. I did. Yeah. Walk us through your own unfollowing. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't have anything to first. Let me also say what a lot of work to put on something that you love. Like a lot of people are, are passionate about hockey and most people don't play it. Who says you have to, mon this pressure to monetize everything is a really big part of that. And it can be a problem. But for yeah. me, I've always known I love to write. I was good at that and I love doing it. But you know, if someone's like, well, you should be a newspaper reporter. No, I did not want to do that. Well, you should do this. Well, everyone was telling me things I should do and I didn't want to do them. And I also didn't know what to do. Knowing you're good at a thing doesn't necessarily mean you know. And I was absolutely stuck. In my 20s, I was temping. I like refused to commit to a real job job, even though that's precisely what I needed. And my mother was like, you really need to get a job. And I was like, I can't. And I would get an offer for a job, like a low pit, like as a media buyer, who knows, any job I could get. But I uh, my mother would say, why don't you just take that job? I said, I can't because I'll never get out of it. I was so afraid that I'd be trapped in it forever. She's like, you're not trapped. That idea of like, once I get on this train, it'll never stop and I'll look back and I'll regret it. Oh my gosh, like that is not true at all. No one is staying with the same job forever. So I waited a long time. Like people who meet me now yeah. say, wow, you're so confident and you're so focused and directed. Oh, please. I had no idea. And it took me a while. And you know what I got? A regular office job as an executive assistant. And it was a place to go, show up every day, learn how to do the things, use Windows, create a PowerPoint, answer phones, book travel. I didn't know how to do any of those things. But that job was the turning point because I had somewhere to go. People would, you know, rely on me for things. And I got to feel what it was to contribute to a working environment. It didn't matter that I wasn't passionate about management consulting. I didn't even know a thing about it. But that job got me on the track. And I said, okay, well, this is fun. What else could I do? And so I was never stuck, but I believed I was. And really, there is no difference. So that's what Just I did. get on the track. Get on the track. Speaking now to a lot of young professionals who may be in the audience who, and I, I was one of them one, once upon a time, you, what do we call it? The dream job? Go get your dream job. You know, I'm not going to take this job. It's not my dream job. Let me tell you something. 
very few opportunities are branded the dream job. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Just you have to build momentum. I had so many friends from college who, because of this very determination to pursue the, the passion, the dream job, um, ended up working at the Olive Garden for a couple of years in lieu of, you know, just taking a job that, you know, okay, it's not going to check off all the boxes, but it's going to get you started. You got to just start. Yeah. Well, also, how do you know what you're good at? Show me, describe a dream job to me. I will find you a person in that job who wants to pluck their own eyeballs out. Like there's no way that everyone in the dream job is happy because I used to think the most glamorous job in the world had to be working in advertising. Uh, for a while, I did intern at an advertising firm, a big one in New York, and I would walk up to the creative floor and walk around and go, wow, these guys have the dream job. They're doing cool stuff. They get to be creative. Years and years later, I get to know my friends who work in advertising, right? You've never met such a cynical group of miserable people. <laughs> they're brilliant and conflicted, and they're no happier than anyone else. In fact, some of them are, are quite unhappy. So that helped clarify a lot for me that it's not the job. Sure, does that mean you have to stay in the job you're at? No. But if you amass skills and try different things, you get mm -hmm. to discover what you're good at. Varnish, if you hadn't worked in TV, worked in production, worked in that particular thing, you wouldn't know what you were good at. And my concern is that too many people don't give themselves a chance to know, to discover their own skill. And failure, you know, that's a big part of the learning and the uh, figuring out what you love and what you're good at, right? You, I think it's always important to, and I always say to all my to interns and young friends, like, good if the job is a little scary, good if the job is, you know, requiring you to do new things, get out of your comfort zone, which I, we're going to talk about later because you actually have a, a counter thought to the comfort zone topic. But the point is, you know, failing early and failing fast is such a, is such a wonderful thing to go through because it just means that the rest of your journey is going to be that much smoother. Well, you don't, you don't learn from doing things right. If you hit a hole in one the first time you play golf, you still don't know how to play golf. You hit a hole in one and it was probably luck and you will spend your life chasing that again. Yeah. But the point is you only learn from where you kind of mess up or we're off the mark. That's how you learn. You don't get to skip around and avoid mistakes just because other humans made mistakes. And let me read up on everyone else's mistakes so I don't make any. You also won't learn anything. Let's get into the pages of Unfollow Your Passion. One of the chapters that's really popular with interviewers, I know because I've been listening to some of your conversations, is uh, this chapter that goes counter to the popular notion of getting outside your comfort zone. You say, you know what? You can stay in your comfort zone. No apologies necessary. Lean into what you're good at. This spoke to me a lot because, and I think this comes with experience sometimes, right? Because you have your life to reflect upon and say, and see the patterns, but like, okay, I, I'm good at these things. These are the things that have worked for me. Why abandon them? Right. I think, well, listen, you know me and I just, I get really annoyed by advice that I think gets passed along easily, but that no one really absorbs or that everyone just agrees on. As soon as everyone agrees on it, I want to pick at it. And this idea of, yeah, you should really get uncomfortable. To like, out of everything. I'm really big into my Peloton, as you know, and they'll tell you like, it's time to, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then everyone else is telling you in the motivational world, you're going to, you know, life begins where your comfort zone ends. That's not how I define comfort. Comfort to me is not complacency. It's not laziness and it's not fear. 
comfort is exactly what it is, comfort, ease. And while <laughs> it's admirable to people who seek out discomfort, that's not everyone's goal. It certainly isn't my goal. I like being comfortable and I also like challenges and I like growing. I'm not, you know, raising myself like a veal in a cage and not doing anything. But this idea that we should aim for discomfort, I think is mistaken because it tells us or it, hang on, when we're told to aim for our discomfort, when we're told to aim for discomfort, we think that discomfort alone means we're growing. No, it just means you're uncomfortable. What if you could grow and change, not with the goal of being uncomfortable, but of expanding the comfort zone? For instance, you and I both have dabbled in stand-up comedy. There is nothing more uncomfortable in the world. Most people would rather jump off a bridge with a rope tied to their ankle than go on stage in front of 10 people at a club. It is scary. But we didn't do it just to get out of our comfort zone. It wasn't like a broy bravado sort of move. Like, yeah, get uncomfortable. No, the point was so that we could be more comfortable doing that. I wanted to be more comfortable as a comic. Uncomfortable people are very difficult to be around. I don't want to be one of them. And I believe that life is uncomfortable enough. There's one bit of research I want to share, though. Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall, who wrote, co-wrote The Feedback Fallacy, it was published in Harvard Business Review a few years ago. Of course, Marcus Buckingham's written like the best-selling business books of all time. Uh, but one of the things they discovered when they were looking at the effect of feedback on employees, like does it help to tell people where they were wrong? Uh, one of the things they said is, we actually don't learn much when we're outside of our comfort zones. Because when we're uncomfortable, all we can do is worry about surviving the experience. And so it's very hard for us to take things in and actually learn. Mm. And that made total sense. He said, we thrive when we're comfortable. It's when you're rested, fed, and in comfortable clothes that you can be your most creative, be attentive, and listen. This idea of, well, we won't get into it, but starving artist and being kind of an angst, young, comfortable person does not signify growth to right. me. It reminds me of how I was able to grow my business once um, I was at a point where I saw all of my peers in personal finance doing courses. And I think my listeners, if you've been with me long enough, you know, I'm not really into like the digital course market. It's just, I've tried it. it it's so much marketing. It's so much sales. It kind of takes away from the experience of teaching for me, at least. That was, that was like mm -hmm. my trip up. And so... I didn't stop. That would have been uncomfortable for me to like go down that path. Uh, but maybe I was growing right on paper. And so I thought, how can I still grow, but do it in my way? Right. How can I take my business uh, to the next yes. level, but do it in a way that I feel really excited, but I'm still growing. It's possible. Those things to those two things can line up. And so I thought, let me do workshops. Right. As opposed to the digital experience, I'm more of an in-person lady. I like to be in front of a crowd, mm -hmm. intimate crowd. And I did that. And, you know, did I sell thousands of tickets? No, because that's not the business model that I created. I wanted, you know, 10 people, 12 people and then made the, the pricing reflect that intimacy. And I was very happy in that zone. And so the, the lesson for everybody is that, you know, we tend to think that we have to do what everybody else is doing, um, whatever's popular, oh, this is trending. I got to do TikTok. I got to do a course. I got right. to write a book. <laughs> I got to do a TED talk. And it's like, maybe if that's 
going to spark joy in you. But if it's not, then try another way, right? What? So maybe the first question is like, what's it. my method? What's my what's my comfortable sort of way That's of right. delivering um, this this thing that I want to deliver? This growth. I agree with you. I also, the idea of putting a, a course in a can and scaling it was never my go-to. Is there opportunities? That, are there opportunities there that I would explore? Sure. But you and I both like a live crowd. We like to do it organically. We're good with doing it on the spot. And so I too have found so much more fun in doing live courses, even virtual, but live and live meaning in real time. And we, we figured out as we go, I think that there's an outlet, especially today, for everyone to find the thing they like to do. Now, of course, we are talking about media here. Some people want to, you know, they're going to be a very successful plumber. They don't need Instagram for that necessarily, although you might. Uh, but yeah, maybe you don't want to do videos. Maybe you don't want to do this one thing or the other thing. This, as soon as you think that you need to do what someone else is doing, when you don't like the idea and you go, well, but it's uncomfortable, I guess I should do it. That's a bad idea. Can you imagine if, if you furnished were like, I hate the idea of doing a podcast, but everyone's doing it, so I'll do it. You did it because you wanted to do it, and it shows your love of it and the success of the podcast shows because it worked for you. And I think we too often assume that someone else knows better, right. and someone else often doesn't. Yeah. Or they have figured out their comfort zone, <laughs> which is not your comfort zone. No two comfort zones are alike. <laughs> yeah, right. What's wrong with finding where you thrive? Like, why do greenhouses exist? Shouldn't you just plant the plants in the snow and be like, grow, damn it. You should just grow. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you, you take care that you nurture it. This, this idea of, yes, life's uncomfortable. We're going to have periods where we are. So make the priority to get in, stay in that comfort zone rather than standing around outside searching for the keys again that you can't find to get back inside. Hmm. You know, complimentary to your book is uh, Susie Moore wrote a book uh, coming out. I think it's out uh, called Let It Be Easy. And similarly, I think yes. she, she kind of- well, She's the queen of it. Yeah, she takes this idea of comfort to a whole book and talks about how we can imply, apply a, a more relaxed approach to life in general. And, and because I do think culturally we're raised with this idea that necessarily hard work, difficulty equals more reward, you know, more, more of everything, whatever you're looking for, success, happiness. Pioneer mentality. Yeah. It's a pioneer mentality. It's a Protestant mentality mm -hmm. that governs this country's like work ethic. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I think the people who work really hard want that to be the truth because it makes them mad when they see someone who's yeah. having it easy and has money. Susie doesn't do anything that's hard. She only does what she's great at, and she's hugely successful as a result. But you could see how that could be frustrating to someone who is working hard but not getting the results. Yeah. Another chapter in your book that runs counter to what we've often been told, you know, we often are told, create that bucket list, you know, well, uh, <laughs> it's important to have goals. It's important to have these big wants in life, whether that's, you know, going to the Great Wall of China, starting a business, writing a book. But you actually say it's important to sort of uh, detach yourself from that bucket list because in that process, you're going to figure out what actually matters. So can you walk us through the the exercise yes. here? Because I think a lot of us uh, on this podcast, we've got some running lists, some running bucket lists in our head. Totally. Listen, I get nothing against anyone in their bucket lists. My question for all of us is to dump out that bucket list and really look at it and ask yourself these questions. 
these three questions. Am I excited about the prospect of doing this thing because I like looking forward to it? Because I will like doing it, actually doing the act of climbing the mountain or running the marathon? Or because I want to say I have done it? Is it a forward-looking, a present, or a past? Yay, I checked that box. There's no wrong way. Whatever you want to do or suffer through to check a box, that's fine. But why, I guess, is the question. And listen, travel is the best bucket listing because how many times are you going to go to the Great Wall of China? You're not going to get a house there and, and go there for every spring break, right? Like, there's a one-off probably. Victoria Falls Bridge, you're going to go there once maybe. That's great. See the planet. There's a lot of planet I don't really care if I see. But for you, great. But the other things, and I'm going to say the two you just said because, or there's three of them, launch a business, write a book, become famous, and or run a marathon, whatever. Those goals are, they're not tough as in no one's done them. People do them all the time. But if you want to have a book, but you don't write, you don't like to write, and you have no interest in writing, why in hell would you do that to yourself? And if it's because, well, I just want to have said I wrote a book, well, I just think, really? As you know, Farnoosh, and as I have learned, this is a huge project. You better like doing it. Right. And so I worry that we're looking to shortcut meaning by doing something that has a wow factor that will look good as a post or and maybe it is. Maybe you want to try things and do it. Great. Again, I have no problem with it. But I think it's it's very telling about what we're looking forward to. Or say, bucket list, I'm going to learn Japanese. Well, why and how's that, how's that going for you? Are you taking class? Like, either it's on your calendar and you're going to do a thing, or you're going to plan and save enough money to go to Australia or do whatever. But you got to look at it and go, are these some of these goals from like the late 90s? Like, or wh what am I doing with these goals? Are they still fitting? And do I feel I need to say I have them to look like I'm going after big things? I don't know. Look at you. You don't even like to go to the beach. I, I mean, don't. Like <laughs> um, I used to. I think I became a parent with young kids and I, you know, my... Not fun. <laughs> my emotions took over. So can you give me some examples of your own bucket lists that you have filtered through? Yes. Well, listen, I did have on my... Like, I don't really have an actual bucket list, but things that I want to do in my mind, I did want to give a TEDx talk. I didn't know how to do it. And I also assumed that no one would have me. This is years ago when only like scientists were doing it. And I thought, well, I'm not important enough, so I'm not going to do one. And then the opportunity came up like suddenly. And all of a sudden I was trying to come up with an idea, you know, uh, what am I going to do? Because I wanted to do that. Box checked. I got to do it. And I was thrilled, but realized it's also changed my whole life, right? It's changed the scope of my own speaking career, everything. So it wasn't just a check done it thing. Another goal for me was to publish a book seven years ago. I had no idea and I just started writing more and more. Just write and then figure it out what it figure out what the book is later. And I spent years doing it until I said, I think this is ready. So realize it wasn't a, I need to hurry up and publish this book. There was no hurry up. So those things take time and they were well worth pursuing it because they matter to me. I will never run a marathon. I'm not gonna jump. Uh, with a rope tied around my ankle off a bridge so I can say I did it. I'm not a thrill seeker. So that's that. But I also don't think like people like I need to go to Ireland and um, kiss the Blarney Stone. Going to Ireland is a great enough goal. There's a lot to see there. You don't kiss the Blarney Stone. Who cares? And probably it's gross anyway. You don't want to kiss something everyone else has kissed. <laughs> but I think travel is like the best kind of thing because you know that you'll go and do that. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, don't make marathon, finishing a marathon a goal if you don't run and you don't enjoy running. It's like saying I'm going to be a doctor because I look good in a white coat. It's like that's not the reason. Right. I think it forces us to explore the motivation is what I'm saying. Well, and I can hear all of the, the thought bubbles of people listening on this show because I they send me questions. And sometimes the motivation behind the financial wants that we have, whether it's to buy a home or start a business or even, you know, have a family, which is may not be a financial consideration, but it costs money to to like have children um, or even like throw a wedding. And sometimes when we kind of unpack it, like the why behind this idea of needing a house or this and that, sometimes it's like, well, that's how I was raised. My parents really want me to do this. All my friends are doing it. But do you want it? Right. Do you want to do this? You literally want that. We think it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're married. Is marriage a bucket list item? A wedding might be a bucket list item because you like that idea of that. But marriage is actually the outcome of the wedding. And you don't just do that once. You do marriage every day of your life. So and kids don't count as a bucket list item because you are never done with that. To me, a bucket list item is something you're going to go and do maybe once, um, okay. you know, to say you did it. And I just don't see, I personally just don't see the point of it. And I think we shouldn't get hung up saying, if I don't do these things, my life was worthwhile, was yeah. not worthwhile. Because think about business. People, yeah. I want to launch a business. I want to be my own boss. Do you really? Because if you're perfectly happy to drop getting a steady paycheck, who says, you know, how many years ago when musicians were the arbiters yeah. of meaning and emotion in this country. Everyone wanted to be a rock star. Then now comics. Now everyone wants to be a comic. Entrepreneurs are the new rock stars. So everyone thinks they want to be kind of badass and like just girl boss, hashtag girl boss and run your thing. Um, you don't mind your income going up and down a little bit and being a little worried and do not like there's a lot that comes with it that isn't just boom, I call the shots. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone necessarily needs to run their own business. Like the best example of that is, you know, cupcakes like, oh, my God, Denise, you make such amazing cupcakes. You should own a cupcake shop. It's like, yeah. do you like to make them and bake them or do you want to run a store, do the books, hire staff? That's a different job. You might just want to mm -hmm. eat cupcakes. <laughs> Well, this is so much, Terry, this is so much a byproduct of the self-help industry where we're fed these lines, these catchy phrases that sell books, that become TED Talks, that go viral on social media, that make us stop and think and reflect, but sometimes set, up, set us up for absolute failure or disappointment. <laughs> That's what follow your passion is. Yes, for the minority, it could work. A minority of people, this is the way to do it. But it's, it is being sold and billed as sort of the way to achieve fulfillment in your professional life and life. It's facile advice. It's facile. It's just easy. And people say, you know why? Because when they interview hotshot male, usually, but not necessarily, a hotshot entrepreneur, let's say of a startup, how did you do it, Bob? How did you get to be so successful? This is a very privileged path to follow your passion. Right. They, they won't say that. That's right. They, but they also won't say, yeah. um, I'm just smarter than you. I'm definitely more talented than most people. That's how I did it. No, they say, well, I was just really passionate about it. It's a safe answer, but it misleads people into thinking, oh, get passion, find, you know, found, be a founder and have a huge business and make all this money. There's no mm. direct correlation. But it's not that you shouldn't feel passionate about what you do. It's just that you'd be surprised where passion comes from. And one of my favorite examples is Barbara Corcoran, who I heard with my own ears say at the 92nd Street Y at an event, she 
admitted she had no passion for real estate. She was on stage with some of the other Shark Tank people. And Robert Herjavec was asked a question in the audience. said, oh, how important has passion been to your success? Of course, I was like eye rolling so hard in the audience. And Robert Herjavec was like, oh, passion is so important. And everyone gives their stupid paying lip service to it. And then he goes, what about you, Barbara? You must have had passion for real estate. She goes, no, not really. That's impossible, Barbara. You're one of the biggest names in the brokerage business. She goes, I literally was not, I was not passionate about real estate. I was passionate about team building and I loved, you know, growing something and making money. And I loved having my face in the papers and it was so much fun. You know why Barbara has her own, why she's a big name in that business? Because when she first moved to New York, she answered phones at Gafuni Brothers and looked around and said, I could do this. And she took a thousand dollar loan and started a business. And it didn't just happen like that. She was like having no money for a long time and suffered all kinds of losses until finally, yes, it took. But if you ask me, it wouldn't have mattered what Barbara Corcoran went into. If she went into cosmetics, 100%. we would all be wearing Barbara Corcoran lipstick instead of ogling her properties on Zillow. So that's why I say, don't be too obsessed. Like, I'd love to, I'm a writer and I'd love to write for that, but I'm not passionate about Labrador retrievers and that's the job. You, you'll get passionate about Labrador retrievers if someone's going to pay you <laughs> to write about them. You're going to get real passionate about labs. Oh, gosh. Love Barbara Corcoran. She always her. tells the truth. She always tells the truth. Um, lastly, and this has been so riveting, I want to keep you on for so much longer, but... Um, you talk about abandoning your plans, which is kind of a nice segue from this idea of abandoning your bucket list. But, you know, a lot of us have gotten used to this idea of scrapping our plans the last 20 months. Uh, if, you, if you were someone who went through life always following your plans, well, I'm sure in the last 20 months, things were interrupted. Um, but that's often a lot of us just reacting to unforeseen circumstances and being forced to reroute plans. But in this chapter in your book, Abandon Your Plans, you're really all about um, doing this proactively. Tell us what you mean here exactly. And why is it so important to you know, get comfortable with uh, rerouting your plans or not having plans. The key here is the difference between planning and plans. Because planning is in our nature. It's what our brains do. We're forever projecting toward the future. What are we going to do? We, we are, as Dan Gilbert says in Something on Happiness, part-time residents of tomorrow. That's how often we think about the future. And it really sucks to pay rent on a place you never get to live. But yet we do. We continue to pay so much attention to the future. The fact is, planning, there's nothing wrong with planning. Our problem is when we get overly attached to plans, specifically the outcome of those plans. Because I, for instance, I knew it was time for to move out of my tiny studio apartment after 10 years. I was like, it's enough. I need to expand my comfort zone and live in a bigger place. And I thought, then I can host parties and have people over for dinner. That was my plan. I was planning to move. So I looked at different properties. I found a place. I moved. I made it happen. And I threw a New Year's Eve party. I was like, this is the beginning of, yeah, Happy New Year 2020. So I moved into my apartment with the idea that I was going to have all kinds of get-togethers. And that plan didn't pan out. But am I ever glad I moved because I was able to ride out the pandemic in a lot more comfort? Now, there's a perfect example. We People go, well, now we can't plan anything because we don't know what's going to happen. The world is unpredictable now. The world was always unpredictable. That's why we're here to begin with. So 
if you can continue to plan in the way I say it is plan your actions, not the outcome, plan what you're going to do and don't plan and plan the beginning, not the ending. You, you can plan to submit an idea to pitch a story to a publication. I'm doing those now. I can plan to submit. I can't plan to be published. It's not on me. Right. That's out of my control. So we can control some of the planning, but an over-attachment to plans will leave us disappointed and feeling that we messed up when really you have so little control to begin with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think what a lot of this underscores, Terry, is that we're, we're worried about wasting time. We want to make the most of every second. We want to make sure that every opportunity and experience we pursue brings value to us, creates meaning, gets us ahead. And what I'm learning from you is that even though what you're about to pursue doesn't seem perfect, it's not what you thought, it's unexpected, maybe you're not even into it, um, there is always value in getting on track and and just moving forward because not making a decision is a decision. It is a decision and it's a bad decision always to not do something, do something. And as Twyla Tharp said in The Creative Habit, a book I really love, she says, the thing that will determine your, two things will determine your life five years from now, the books you read and the people you meet. And if you don't go and take that job and do that thing just to see, just because you need to earn a living or you need to do something, blah, 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 you won't meet the people whom you might like to hook your wagon to. That matters. When you meet people, where'd you meet that person? He's so great. Oh my God, we met at our first job. We were doing this unrelated thing. Those relationships are what guide your career, not is it my dream job? So we need to get over that. And we need to make sure we read widely and listen to lots of different people, but don't govern our own agendas by what other people think we should do. But it's nice to give yourself a lot of options. And I will add again, you should read lots of books, including mine. Exactly. <laughs> you you took the words out of my mouth. Do pick up Unfollow Your Passion. Yeah. It officially comes out 1221, but it is available now for pre-order. Tell us the website. Go to unfollowyourpassion.com. There is a reason to pre-order it now. Rather than wander into it later in the year, do it now because you get access to a book club, a live book club I'm doing, and some other fun stuff that only pre-order people get. So thanks, Farnoosh. Absolutely. Congrats again. Thank you. Thanks to Terry for joining us again. Check out her book coming out 1221. You can pre-order it now and you will get those exclusive bonuses, terrytrespicio.com forward slash book. I'll also put the link over on the So Many Podcast website. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. 